What can we learn from Taylor Swift? Also, a couple other great questions you don't want to miss this edition of Ask, so stay tuned. Hey everyone, welcome once again. I'm Jamie Walton. We're here at uh, Cornerstone Church, as always, on site, filming Ask. These are questions that you ask, and we answer as best we can about Bible, faith, life. Um, definitely need some questions uh, to fill out some episodes in June, so go to cornerstonebv.org, media page drop down, hit Ask, put in your question. Don't need to leave your name. If you want to, that's fine too, all right? We definitely need your questions, so be sure to do that. Okay, first question for this week. How do you feel about Taylor Swift? Is this a trap? Never publicly go against Taylor Swift. I might end up in a song, which I admit would be kind of awesome. Uh, but also, you bring the ire of the Swifties, probably led by my daughter. So you don't want to do that and get in the way of a Swiftie. So. Uh, but seriously though, since my wife and daughter were going to the concert, I've become really interested in her. Not that I haven't known her for years, of course, um, but I consider myself kind of a student of human nature. And so whatever you might think about Taylor or her music, it cannot be denied that she has reached a level of superstardom that very, very few reach in the music industry. You know, uh, when I think about past musicians, I think about she's in the ballpark of Elvis Presley, the Beatles, maybe Michael Jackson, really hard to compare almost to anybody else. Her latest tour is selling out three dates per stadium, which is up to like 80,000 tickets per night. And whenever it's possible, thousands more are gathering outside her concerts just to get a glimpse uh, and listen, right? So. So when you see clips from her show, which is pretty amazing mix of music and theater and dancing, um, most of the fans are singing along and they're singing like every single lyric. It's crazy to me. But why is this happening and what does it teach us about just human beings in general? That's what I'm interested in. Well, first, I think why this is happening is longevity. Taylor has been selling albums for 17 years now. so. She has very loyal fans that go from eight to nine years old to people in their early 30s and older. So, I mean, I remember having two of her songs on my run playlist uh, when long before my daughter even was old enough to know her and she's now 17. So that's one of the reasons. Secondly, I think her lyrics tell a story that her fans uh, really relate to, especially female fans. They, they really relate to her songs in a special way. But lots of our, our artists have these two covered, right? Longevity, and good lyrics. So what separates Taylor? My observation is that Taylor has this unique ability to connect with her fans, to connect with people. Most of her fans see her as like a good friend, sometimes even a best friend. I've watched many clips where girls have given testimony that it is Taylor who saved them from a deep depression or a place of loneliness. And as I watched some of these clips, I, I kind of would vary, right? I'd go back and forth being really touched by their stories and. And, and, and on the other hand, just feeling really sad that people need a singer they don't even know to be their friend in such a time of need. I think that puts way more on Taylor Swift than she will ever be able to handle. But I do admit that she comes across as truly genuine and humble and relatable, whether she is or not, she comes across that way, right? And, and you easily forget she's a billionaire superstar and you think she's relating just to you. I'm not sure if this is a skill or a charisma she learned, but it does teach us a few things, I think, about human beings in general, regardless uh, of Taylor Swift, that we should be keenly aware of. First, people long for connection, especially younger people, and maybe extra especially young girls. They're terrified 
uh, and understandably so in a lot of cases, to feel vulnerable, maybe even with their own friends and family. And so when they feel like they have someone who is safe, right, they jump fully into that relationship, even if it's only one-sided. And while I think God uses artists, authors, and others to help us process things, these people who don't even know us, they can't be the ones we turn to alone in our greatest time of need. We need other people who know us and are safe for us to be vulnerable with. Second thing we learn, human beings crave worship. I think it's awesome to love an artist and her songs or his songs. And there's times I've been really touched in a positive way to see how Taylor does that for people. But I've also seen it cross that line and it becomes a real desperate scene that's sad for me to watch where the person is screaming and desperate to just get a look at her. Like, let's call this what it is. It's worship. And only God deserves worship. And honestly, only God can carry worship on his shoulders. If we worship any person, you know, whether they're famous or not, right? That person will fail us because he or she is human. Third thing we learn is we crave experience. We're wired that way. There's something about gathering with many others who feel the same sense of love and excitement over someone or something. Humans love that, right? Going to a sporting event, a concert, a play, or even a movie can grab people's hearts like nothing else. Why? I think we were meant to have experience. We were meant to experience deep joy in Christ with one another. But I think too often we relegate God to someone who is disappointed in us or angry with us, or it's just kind of a boring super genie and we get just bored with the whole thing. But we were meant to gather and experience God together. Do I think some churches prioritize experience too much? Yeah, I do, right? Because experience is not the first priority in our gatherings at church knowing the truth of who God is. That is of chief importance. But creating experiences with the Lord in our gatherings should not be neglected either, right? I, I think heaven is gonna be an experience like none other. To fill the void like where Jesus should be with any person will fail because only Jesus should be on the throne of our lives. Second question, hello, Pastor Jamie. Hello, right back at you. I have two questions. Well. We'll get to the other one later. But the first is, who is the us and our in Genesis 1.26? And here's the quote. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and the seas and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So this is a very good question. Fosters lots of discussion. The us and our, it's a strange plural, right? One explanation is that God is talking to his heavenly core, which we would call angels. They w existed already, seemingly anyway. However, that doesn't seem like a legit explanation to me because he says, let us make man in our image. Angels were not part of this image bearing, uh, uh, you know, and certainly weren't involved in creation, right? That was God. Many love this language because it might hint, be the first hint of the triune nature of God, that God exists as one God three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So was God communicating to all three persons of the triune God? It's very possible. However, keep in mind that there is a literary technique used throughout history called the royal we. This is when a king or other royal figure will refer to oneself in the plural because he or she is the head of a nation, state, or even religion sometimes. So however, some Hebrew scholars, which is the language the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, they argue that this technique 
was not used in this way in Hebrew. And the original readers and hearers of Genesis, they would not have understood this literary technique. So I think the best explanation is God is referring to multiple persons, one God, three persons, uh, is the best explanation and that, that God is referring to himself, right? In the end, we don't know exactly, but I prefer the triune God explanation. But in the end, as I just said, uh, we don't need to rely on just Genesis to prove the point that God is one God but three persons. Okay, last quick question here for this episode is why were people baptized before Jesus? For example, the people that John the Baptist baptized. Okay, so there were various forms of rituals using water that have been used by lots of cultures, other religions. Um, it's been used in like cleansing rituals, which makes sense, right? It's water. Often Jewish people would use physical cleansing in water to represent spiritual cleansing. You see various forms of that throughout the Old Testament. Jewish people would um, also immerse a Gentile, what they would call a God-fearer, into water as a symbol of their conversion to Judaism. A God-fearer is someone who is not born a Jew, but wants to follow their God and religious beliefs. Therefore, it was a very familiar symbol by the time John the Baptist came on the scene. However, John used baptism as a very specific symbol. It was called the baptism of repentance. Jews in John's proximity who were con con you know, convicted of their sin and, and, and a need for God's salvation, they would be baptized by him or one of his disciples. John's baptism, it wasn't a symbol of salvation, but a symbol of being prepared for salvation. So when Je because Jesus would follow to bring that salvation. Jesus got baptized not because he needed to repent of sin, but because he needed to show his identification with sinners as he would become our sin on the cross. And, and that was, uh, and he was to be the one who would atone for our sin. So today, baptism in churches is very different. We identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, going under the water, coming back up, new life. And that is powerfully symbolized through baptism. If you've never done that and you're a Christian, absolutely should. We have one coming up, so join us. All right, that's it for today's episode. Make sure you submit your questions on our website, and hopefully we'll see you this weekend. We have one of three gatherings you can choose, Saturday at 5, Sunday at 9, or 11. Hopefully we'll see you then. God bless.